Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can. Just go to patreon.com slash Canada EHX. You can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking donate. Don't forget, I have two other podcasts out there, Pucks and Cups and From John to Justin, available on all podcast platforms. Today, I'm speaking with Loretta Todd. She's the director of Monkey Beach, which recently was released on Crave TV, and you can check it out if you have a subscription. It's been shown at various festivals, and it's getting a lot of buzz. Based off the book Monkey Beach, a lot of people have been really enjoying it, and I had the chance to talk with Loretta about it, about her career, and much more. So let's get right to it. Uh, how has the past year been, uh, been dealing with the pandemic? Uh, how has it been overall for you? The pandemic, of course, as a filmmaker is never good, but for all people, it's not good. I mean, it's just so tragic and sad and, you know, so many friends and uh, have family members have got COVID. Um, you know, and you hear the stories on our first nations where there's been so much, um, you know, in some cases there was lockdown, so that was really good. In other cases, there's been a lot of people who've become infected, especially recently. So it's been a very stressful time worrying about people and trying to keep safe. In the meantime, I'm also creating, you know, doing season three of Coyote Science, which is the digital uh, children's series I do with AP10. So I've had to come up with a new strategy for filming that uh, and keep all the people safe. Um, so what I came up with this idea of these bubbles, fortunately I've worked with many indigenous directors and cinematographers over the years in my children's series. So I have a good, you know, group of people that I work with and trust. And many of them have kids. And, and in Coyote Science, we have kids, like are the, you know, sort of the, the questers, the, the main part of the series. So there, I was able to create these bubbles where those people are filming their kids in their bubble. Mm -hmm. um, and so they're directing and doing cinematography, in some cases also doing sound. Uh, so it hasn't been the most ideal. It's made life a little slower for production, for sure. But <laughs> I felt that was the best way so that we weren't bringing crews into indigenous communities and putting you know, elders at risk. <laughs> uh, tell me a bit about Coyote Science. Uh, what is that? Oh, Coyote Science is a series uh, that I created about indigenous science for kids about grade four, five in that area. Um, and it really celebrates indigenous science. It's got lots of experimental, you know, fun, you get to, you know, do, uh, do, you, do your own kind of experiments at home. We feature indigenous scientists, we have hip hop, you know, we featured Mob Bounce, you know, one episode about skateboarding. Um, we have John Harrington, who's the first indigenous astronaut to walk in space. He comes on every episode in a seg segment I call where in the world is uh, John Harrington? And he <laughs> talks about <laughs> what well, he talks about in usually ancient indigenous science, but not exclusively because he also mm -hmm. talks about, you know, um, 
how they use VR in order to train to go to walk in space. So, you know, it's a, we also feature knowledge holders, indigenous knowledge holders, elders who know a lot about indigenous science and these kids go on these quests. Um, also, we have an amazing indigenous uh, host named Isa White. Um, and I don't know, it's just, it's a lot of fun. It's, it's been a lot of fun and people really like it. It seems to, uh, it, kids feel, you know, I always try to create things in which kids can learn without feeling like they're learning. It's like sort of experiential <laughs> thing. Mm -hmm. And really, you know, it make them, you know, not make them, but give them that opportunity to really understand that we as Indigenous people have always had science, that we're, we are engineers, we are mathematicians, we are architects, all those things. We, we've always been those. So it's, uh, it's uh, yeah, I, I like making that series. Uh, what attracted you to making a movie based off the novel Monkey Beach? Um, well, you know, there's a group of us who've been, you know, Back when we started out, back in the day, we've been trying to make feature films. That's what I was trying to do: was make feature films. And um, we brought a few forward to telefilm, and then, you know, back in the day, and you know, there was always a good reception, but it never seemed to happen. Um, so, the, but that's always been, you know, my dream. Uh, somewhere along the line, someone told me I should option Eden's book, Monkey Beach, and I said, "Why?" And they said, "Because." Uh, your filmmaking is like her writing. And I knew about the book and it was a great success. It was a bestseller. Um, so I, you know, I was going to read it. I just hadn't had a chance. So I went out and bought it and, she, you know, just like it came alive to me. It's just something that spoke to me. And I was fortunate that she uh, she optioned it and it took me a long time. Um, I guess, you know, I would say I was sort of ahead of the curve, um, I guess. There just wasn't that kind of response there is now for Indigenous feature filmmaking. So, you know, there was, uh, but I never gave up and I never stopped working. I was always working on trying to make it happen, just trying to find different angles. And <laughs> I, was, I went everywhere. <laughs> I went to billionaires. I went to, you know, uh, I, I took many paths for sure. <laughs> uh, what were some of the challenges, especially related to COVID and kind of getting it, uh, Put together and ready for release well you know i made it in 2018 so COVID hadn't happened mm -hmm. yet um the, the the delay to getting it to screen in the fall of 2020 wasn't because of COVID. it was because of uh you know just trying to make it the best film i could and make sure that there was um you know that things weren't just that's good enough you know mm -hmm. I, I i can never do that i can never do that's good enough i have to make it as amazing as I can with the resources I have. So that meant I had to go and raise more resources and um, particularly for the VFX. Where COVID did help is that I had this very limited uh, budget for VFX that even when I raised you know, additional money was still, still very modest to say the least. Um, but what happened was I was knocking on many VFX uh, company doors and, you know, some of them would get back to me and say, well, you know, sorry, your budget isn't big enough. We're too busy. Some, many of them didn't get back to me at all. <laughs> but there was a few smaller companies and said, gee, we'd really love to work with you. But this project's great. But, you know, we have limited staff and we're busy with contracts. And um, but then COVID hit and all those VFX companies, things changed. So I went back to one of them in particular and they said, yeah, well, you know, we don't our contracts are gone now and we'd love to work <laughs> with you so that's what we did so it's kind of a it helped in a in a, in a strange way 
Uh, and now you have some really great actors who are in this movie. Uh, what was it like working with them and, and having kind of such a great cast around you? Well, you know, as they, you know, as they say, a casting is, you know, a casting and lighting to me, <laughs> two really critical things. And uh, so really, it was really critical for me to find a cast that was really going to create the kind of way the film, you know, looks to the world. So we're these beautiful, epic people, and I wanted to portray that. Um, I wanted to portray um, the fact that there's a tremendous skill level within the Indigenous community with respect to acting. Um, people have been acting for many years, or even if they haven't been acting for many years, they've been very serious about acting. And so they put a lot of work into their craft. So it was really important for me to, to portray that, to you know, embody that, to let the film really breathe with that. Um, at the same time, you know, the budget wasn't huge, so there were some roles that I had to cast just with people in the neighborhood up in Kitimat, people who weren't actors. Um, so there was a kind of a combination of actors and non-actors in the film. Um, but it was really wonderful working with all of them. I think, I'd like to think that, um, you know, you know, what is it they say, Gladwell says, you know, the 10,000 hours mm -hmm. sort of, uh, you know, idea of, of you know, mastering a craft. Well, I mean, I don't know. I haven't added up my ten, if I had the 10,000 hours, but I'm probably pretty close. So even if it's been in children's series and, you know, the other things I've done over the years. Um, so I'd like to think that my craft, my maturity, um, the fact that, you know, at my heart, um, I have a, a kind of, what is it? I think that there's nothing wrong with being um, a sensitive person and Bad, empathetic, empathetic, what's the word, empathy, empathy, someone who has a lot of empathy, um, and as opposed to, you know, you hear some directors where they treat the actors like puppets, or they're very, you know, like, stern, angry, you got to do this, <laughs> this is my thing, and, you know, mm -hmm. and I, I mean, I don't know, but for me, the way was just be as prepared as I could, be as, as uh, focused as I could, and give them the space and the safety to really go as deep as they needed to go uh, to really embody those characters. So yeah, it was a great experience. Uh, so throughout your career, you've, you've spent a lot of time, like you said, the 10,000 hours, uh, bringing indigenous stories, indigenous uh, art, like you said, the coyote science, Monkey Beach, you've done a lot of work with the National Film Board. Uh, why is it so important uh, today to, to be bringing a lot of indigenous uh, art stories and uh, uh, movies to the forefront? Well, it's always been important. <laughs> I don't think, I mean, there's, unfortunately, we get into this kind of mindset that's so Canadian that, oh, oh, the Indians are here now. Gee, you know, finally, they're ready to tell their stories. Well, we've been telling our stories all along. And, you know, I'm not criticizing you for that question, because it's mm -hmm. certainly sort of like, the ex that's the kind of narrative that goes on. I mean, we didn't stop telling stories. We've been telling stories, you know, for or since time immemorial and will continue. And certainly when the newcomers arrived, we told stories about them as, as well as we continue to tell the stories of our own you know, lives. And um, mm -hmm. even though there was, you know, our ceremonies were outlawed and our languages were outlawed, you know, people feel, still found a way to tell stories. And, you know, if you look back, I like to think of there's a guy named Freddie Alexi, who is uh, from uh, Port Simpson on the West Coast, who was a, uh, uh, sort of Mohawk and um, Klinket, no, Shimshan. 
and he was doing uh, lantern um, drawings, uh, paintings back in, you know, early uh, turn of the 19th century, like 20th century. Mm -hmm. And they were like two, two uh, slides together so that they would create animation. And those were filmed, they were about, you know, life in the longhouse that he had, you know, lived with and grew up with and he was fearing was, was no longer going to be. So he did these lantern things, which you could maybe say was the first Indigenous filmmaker. <laughs> um, so, you know, that, that, that's a long time ago. And, you know, certainly we didn't have access to the cameras, but, you know, a lot of Indigenous actors went to Hollywood, you know, mm -hmm. to be part of that, not just because they wanted to get into movies, but because they saw it as another avenue to, to tell stories, to have their presence there. So, I mean, I think we've been telling stories for a long, long time. I kind of take offense. I know recently it was in the paper about somebody said reclaiming our Indigenous stories. We don't need to reclaim, <laughs> you know, we, we already have them. So, um, but, um, but I think what has happened is, I mean, one of the critical things that we've been saying as Indigenous storytellers, filmmakers and artists and writers for a long time, and I, I don't know, maybe I'm not supposed to speak for everybody, but I've heard this being said before, so I don't think it's my, I'm the only one saying it, is this idea that really our stories are the, at the center, need to be at the center mm -hmm. of the Canadian narrative. Um, that really there is no place else these stories can be, you know, all these beautiful settlers and newcomers have come to Canada, um, you know, they, they have their origin stories back in their own homelands and, you know, they come to Canada and they, you know, they, they find a way to integrate those into, you know, their narratives why they're here. Um, some it's easier than others because of, you know, ongoing colonialism and racism, but certainly um, there's no place else for these stories to go except here. So really our story should be at the center of, mm -hmm. you know, the Canadian uh, narrative. Uh, what, you know, what, what is the origin, what is the origin story of Canada, you know? Um, um, so those are, you know, those are all things that I think are really critical. And I mean, just looking um, at the kind of, you know, one of the reasons I also made Coyote Science and I, I did another children's series as well, was our kids don't see themselves on screen. And if they do see themselves on screen, it's usually within this context of tragedy or trauma. So it was really important for me to, you know, no serious show kids being healthy and, and you know, in good, you know, healthy relationships with, with, uh, with teachers and, you know, role models and, you know, making good choices in their lives and realizing that they had the capacity and the, and the sovereignty to do that even in, in their young, you know, life. So, and just, um, so I think that was one of the things that really motivated me is, this idea of you know seeing ourselves on these screens and all the screens you know not just mm -hmm. just you know the TV or the film screen now there's so many screens now <laughs> and you know our, our young people and not so young people because you know certainly one of the biggest stars of TikTok was a you know indigenous man down in California with his mm -hmm. you know uh, Fleetwood Mac thing you know right, I mean yes. I mean talk about a storyteller you know <laughs> I mean really I mean it's just that one moment with that one you know, move, you know, I mean, how many, how much did that say and how that so motivated so many Indigenous youth and elders and, mm -hmm. you know, everything in between to, to, uh, to get on TikTok. Absolutely. Uh, now you've screened the movie at the Toronto International Film Festival at the Vancouver International Film Festival. Uh, what has the response been to Monkey Beach overall? 
Well, you know, for the people, it's been amazing. I, you know, I mean, in Vancouver, especially because I know so many of the people who went to see it, um, you know, you know, I just get so many messages and, you know, people saying they love it. This is the second they saw it two or three times. People actually, you know, despite COVID would go see the film again because we were, they were showing it here in Vancouver in the theater. It's very COVID safe. Mm-hmm. Um, up in, in, in Terrace, where it's showed, which is the closest town to Kitimat, where we filmed, the village of Kitimat, um, they had 18 sold out houses um, for the screening. Now, each theater is, they have two theaters and each theater is only 50 people per theater. But nonetheless, you know, people were just, you know, going. And so the people's response has been amazing um, because of the fact, the fact that it was so, um, well, you know, tended in, 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 in um, Paris. Uh, apparently the manager of the Prince Rupert Cineplex was hearing about these people traveling from Prince Rupert to Terrace to go see Monkey Beach, even though it was about an hour and a half, uh, depending on how fast you drive, or a 45 <laughs> minute, you know, to Terrace, mm-hmm. uh, you know, back. So basically a three and even longer hour trip to go see a film and they were going to see it. So apparently the manager of Prince Rupert's uh, Cineplex called up the head office in Toronto and said, look, it, there's this potential. So that kind of opened the door. And um, so Cineplex, you know, um, showed it starting in Vancouver and then sort of rolling it out to other um, places in Vancouver. I mean, in BC and then eventually Alberta, Saskatchewan, a little bit of Northern Ontario and then Halifax, of course, the rest of Quebec and, and, and Manitoba and, and Ontario were kind of off limits because of their closure of all the theaters mm-hmm. but while the theaters were still open and you know while they were in, in certain areas we were the number one Canadian film um, for I think four or five weeks mm-hmm. and we got into the top 10 um, and the only Canadian film in the top 10 so you know I feel very proud of that that there was such a you know warm response and people feel that the film is very hopeful um, so I feel really good about it um, and, you know, people like you have been really, really, um, you know, opening and, and very responsive. Um, a lot of blo- uh, sort of uh, podcasts and um, bloggers and people have their own, um, you know, uh, systems. But the critics, I can't say, have been very kind. Um, <laughs> mind you, just been one critic. Um, another one was kind of, you know, indifferent. But, I, you know, the media has picked it up, you know, really thankful to Nicola. Pender, who's an amazing PR person, mm-hmm. and Lena Minifee, who's our social media person. I mean, they've done an amazing job to just get the word out and get the news out. And so I feel really, really good about that. Um, I would like to have a dialogue about it because I feel that it has to have its own, it has to have its own place. And, in, 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 you know, given the sort of response by the people, you know, there should be a good response. You know, it doesn't have to be good reviews, but I mean, you know, there should be more uh, engagement around mm-hmm. it, you know, by the media elite, you know. Um, but, you know, I feel really good about um, the broadcasters, particularly uh, Crave and Bell and APTN. They've, they've really been um, very supportive of the film and, and CBC too. Mm-hmm. Uh, in regards to that, uh, you, like you said, it's been pretty successful around the country. You were in the top 10, you were the top Canadian film. And now I believe on January 6th, it's coming to Crave. So are you excited for it to reach such a large audience uh, across the country through the streaming service? Oh, yeah. I mean, people have been waiting. They just say that because they didn't feel comfortable going to um, theater. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if 
you know, when the theaters were open. So there's just people been waiting for this day. So I'm still really excited about that. Yeah, so a lot of people have been saying they've been waiting for this so that they can see it and then they can see it many times. And, you know, so it's been really good um, response that way. Um, I know I have, we've had a few messages that, you know, sometimes, you know, our people, um, you know, don't have Crave, you know, because, um, mm-hmm. you know, it costs extra. Yeah. Um, and, you know, yeah. and our people are still struggling with, you know, um, you know, uh, you know, income, you know, mm-hmm. so that's mm-hmm. just a reality for Indigenous people. Um, so that that's something I still feel bad about that it isn't going to be sort of like, you know, um, generally available, um, um, you know, at least for a while. But I think that there's, you know, a lot of people have craved. And so it's it's a really great um, opportunity. And the Crave people have been so responsive. They've been working really closely with the social media and PR team. And they've been, I actually caught it a couple of times on Crave, uh, the, the trailer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's sort, of, <laughs> sort of exciting <laughs> to be alongside these other sort of like big production time. And my, my TV trailer, my trailer comes on. Um, was actually done by uh, Shiana Kutneo, who's amazing. Um, you know, DJ and artist and editor works with me on Coyote Science. And so, you know, uh, you know, her, her, you know, trailer editing sort of stands up against all these, you know, big productions that probably spent <laughs> a lot of money on their trailers <laughs> and probably did it 20 times the focus group before they released it. So here's, you know, our one and it sort of stands and holds its own against that. So yeah, I'm excited. I, I you know, I really, I'm, and also it will get into the households of, of non-Indigenous people as mm-hmm. well. And, and I think that's really important because it does, um, it's kind of a different portrayal. I mean, I think again, it's important that we deal with our trauma, deal with intergenerational trauma and all the kind of uh, struggles we've had as indigenous people. Uh, but you know, this, even though Mikey Beach deals with trauma and deals with intergenerational trauma, even though it's dealing with all those things, it was always, I always meant it to be a hopeful film. I always meant it to be a film that would make people feel empowered, especially indigenous women. And, um, and so I really think that will be sort of uh, different for non-Indigenous people to see um, in terms of uh, Indigenous film. And just to see the ma- amazing performances, how beautiful uh, the cinematography is and how um, you know, precious that land, that territory is, that t- the Haisla territory. Um, you know, and I have a big shout out to the Haisla people and the Haisla nation for their support of making uh, Mikey Beach up in Kitimat. So yeah, it's, uh, I'm excited about it. I, I'm, I'm glad it's being brought to you know, more households in Canada. And, and um, you know, I hope, I hope people feel as good about it as, you know, the people who've already gone to see it. You know? mm-hmm. Uh, one question I like to ask over the past year when I, I've talked to singers and authors and, and music, uh, musicians and actors, directors, is has COVID shown the importance of arts in our life uh, with having to be home for so long and having access to streaming services or books or music? Is it really shown us you know, how much we do need various types of art in our life? Well, I think it's actually made a kind of a, also a bit of a switch to make people realize that they are artists, that they are mm-hmm. storytellers, that, you know, collectively we are creative. Human beings are meant to be creative, that we're meant to live our life as art. I mean, there's so many, that was really the intention of an indigenous uh, philosophy, if you like. Um, you know, I made a film back in the day called Hands of History and the late Jensen, who was 
really one of the most amazing you know people I've ever known and she was certainly a mentor uh, to me she um, you know in that film she talks about how there was no word for art in her language but pretty well in most indigenous languages there was no word for art and yet we practice art every day mm-hmm. um, and this idea that you know you know we as, as human beings that's you know what we excel at is being creative and um, I think that's one thing that COVID has sort of reminded people that they can tell stories, that they can create art, um, that it's not just this rarefied few elite that get to do it, that, you know, mm-hmm. we're all, all capable. And yet at the same time, it also, um, you know, um, celebrates those people who have, you know, have been making a living as artists and, you know, doing their best. I think it's been a real struggle for artists, uh, filmmakers, uh, you know, musicians, especially DJs, those people have really had to kind of uh, their whole life has, has changed yeah. because of COVID. Um, so, you know, I, my heart goes out to them because I know it hasn't been easy, I'm sure, financially for, for them. But, um, you know, you know, this, those, some, you know, I've, I've taken in a lot of those, um, you know, Facebook or Eventbrite or, you know, all those other kinds of social media, Twitch and so on events uh, online. And, and, you know, even just to have them so in the background, you know, as I'm doing work, it, it's still really important. And I know that I'm kind of supporting those people, even if I'm just, I'm one like, you know, or one heart, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm still somebody that's there that's listening. Um, certainly, um, the, um, you know, it, it's, it's, there's a kind of a, I know there's been a movement that's kind of come about, about guaranteed annual income for artists, um, you know, um, as a way of sort of, maneuvering with around these kinds of things when there is no venues anymore like what do you do like um i also i also created a thing called the ion4 lab which is a uh, immersive technology lab um we've been running for a couple years and we had to shut everything down um and so we had to move everything online and um it was really a great experience um because i think we were able to bring we were planning a big conference at the end of march last this last March and and so that all had to go online and so as much as you know the IM4 practices this idea of being you know inclusive anybody could come anybody can come and learn anybody can come and do you know productions with us if they're interested in immersive technology AR VR so on and um, so and but that conference would have still been you know limited mm-hmm. but the fact that we were able to move online sort of gave um, you know access to everybody um, to, to hear those brilliant, you know, um, indigenous VR and AR artists uh, like Casey Corsican and, you know, others who are just amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, you know, it's been, a, it's been a, one of those sort of, you know, sort of side effects, the good side effects, if you like, <laughs> of COVID. Um, in regards to the film, by the time this comes out, it'll been out for a couple days. So with all the people being able to watch it on Crave, what do you hope that once they've watched the movie, what do they get from it? What What do you hope they they kind of learn from the film or get out of uh, watching the film? Well, you know, I always, I've talked about this in other interviews, this idea of medicine, you know, that we all have medicine within us. Um, and that medicine is really, when I say that, and I mean, something, a gift, something that, and can bring goodness um, to humanity, you know, to, to ourselves, to our families, to our communities. In the Cree way, we talk about something called the good life. And that's sort of what we strive for. And it's not like, you know, 
you know, uh, two fancy cars and, you know, you know, you know, it's not, that's mm -hmm. not what it's meant. What it means is that we're living a good life, but we're, we're respectful and, you know, of others and respectful of all, you know, living beings around us. And we take our responsibilities as, as Niwa well, you know, and, and I think, think, think about, you know, what, what, what is our, what's our, how are we in service, you know, mm -hmm. people and to, you know, all our relations. So I think that's something that, so medicine, you know, I, I tried to put at the core. I, I like to, I like to think, but I, I saw Lisa's journey in the film as a journey of her coming to her medicine. Mm -hmm. um, and that embracing that medicine is um, critical to her survival as an indigenous woman. And I really want, that was one of the messages I really wanted at the end is that, you know, indigenous woman, because we, you know, so, you know, we're in many ways so vulnerable, um, we're so, you know, not valued uh, in a colonial world. Um, and so by embracing our medicine, um, it's sort of a proclamation to the world. Um, but also uh, we're all capable of that, you know, um, all, in, all, you know, the indigenous community, all of us, but the non-indigenous community too, like what is your gift? You know, what is that sort of superpower you have within you to make a better world? Um, and so even though we're talking about this very specific story of this very specific person in this very specific place, I'd like to think that this idea of embracing your medicine is one that's really critical for these times. And I'm hoping that people get that. But, it, but even if they just kind of get swept away by the beauty of the performances and the cast and the location and the cinematography and the excellence of the directing um, <laughs> um, and the writing. And, mm -hmm. you know, because the writing wasn't easy. We had to, you know, I worked with two writers and, you know, they really, you know, you take this ama amazing book with all these layers and all these stories and try to condense it down to 90 minutes. And that was one of the biggest struggles was one of the reasons it took a long time because, mm -hmm. you know, telefilm keeps saying, oh, the script's too long, Loretta, or, you know, it's not quite <laughs> there yet. So, you know, so those things, you know, so hopefully they'll see the, just the sheer, what's the artistry of it. If mm -hmm. they just can react to that, you know, then I think uh, I'll be very happy to. And uh, looking into 2021, we've just started the year. What uh, what do you have coming up? Uh, what other what new projects are you starting now that Monkey Monkey Beach is kind of uh, out there now? Well, Monkey Beach has been in the last two years has been a very grueling <laughs> time um, mm -hmm. for many reasons, um, but also a very good time, you know, also for many reasons. Um, so I'm still working on Coyote Science 3, so we're still, you know, in production with that because, again, COVID's making it go slower, so I have mm -hmm. to kind of be on top of that soon because I've, <laughs> um, and then also the IM4 lab continues, we're, we're, we're hoping to develop a, a, a virtual production studio because, you know, we feel virtual production is sort of a way to go that sort of, in one way, it's also a counter to COVID in terms of production, but it also brings lots of different elements into to, to production, which I find quite exciting and interesting. And, and uh, so we're trying to develop that at the IM4 Lab. I have an animated series that I'm trying to develop. I have many <laughs> feature films that are kind of, I've been sitting there, like the ones we've, I brought around in the past, maybe one in particular um, set in Paris that, uh, you know, it's a big budget because it's a, it's a period piece. Mm -hmm. uh, so who knows? You know, I was told when I first wrote that script and took it to a producer, 
oh, we'll never get this made, Loretta, because the budget's too big. No one's going <laughs> to give you that kind of money. So, <laughs> but, you know, uh, I made Monkey Beach, so who never, you know, anything's possible. But, you know, I have other things. I, I have other projects in the work. So we'll see. We'll see how they all. All the, how they all come to be you know and I'm also available for work <laughs> I mean and then one of the reasons I became a, a producer is because you know again being ahead of my time you know knocking on doors saying hey I can direct you know um, didn't didn't lead to work but now I'm now on the DGC so maybe maybe we'll lead to some work <laughs> absolutely sounds like a busy year um and then yeah. uh, j- just my last question if people want to get in touch with you if they want to learn about monkey beach uh if there's any social media that you're out on uh how can people follow you or just uh, learn more about what you do i i've been really busy so i haven't really been having my own social media beyond you know facebook but and monkey beach is on facebook and we're trying to get on instagram we had an account but somehow um, we weren't able to get access to it, so we're probably starting a new Instagram account, and we w- would welcome people's, you know, um, you know, with, you know, the, their own, you know, photos of them watching Monkey Beach, you mm-hmm. know, their own, you know. At one point, I thought it'd be cool to show, you know, people, you know, where they where they were reading the book, even. Mm-hmm. But um, um, and myself, so I, I'm once I kind of get going again or not get going again because I have been working um, <laughs> through the holidays. <laughs> um, um, I'm probably going to be on Instagram, but you know, we have a website mm-hmm. also uh, monkey beach movie, I think it's called. And we have a, a really active Facebook page. So, you know, people can message me there for sure. And that's also called monkey beach movie or monkey, monkey beach film. I can't remember which, but it's, right. it's easy to find. <laughs> there's only other one on monkey beach there's an actual monkey beach somewhere in thailand i think and so if you google sometimes um that monkey beach comes up <laughs> but um but this you know it doesn't take too long to, to usually find it i hope you enjoyed that interview with loretta todd and if you did please leave a rating and review if you'd like to reach me you can just email craig at canadaehx.com You can also visit my website where you'll find all my podcast episodes, as well as hundreds of articles on Canada's history. Just go to CanadaEHX.com. And again, you can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. Just go to Patreon.com slash CanadaEHX, just like all of these wonderful patrons have. And I apologize if I mispronounce any names. Gary Dolovich, Nick Zinri, Pamela Elder, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Chauve, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Rawa, Luke S., Vic Hedges, J.P. Bear, Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, Spencer M., and Iris Gray. You can also find me on Facebook. Just go to facebook.com slash CanadianHistoryX. And I'm on Twitter. Just go to Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-A-I-R-D. I'm also on Instagram. And you just have to look for Bairdo37. Thanks. We'll see you again next time.